0: Cell provider to make sure so ready here you go get a pen here's the number studio a is 712-432-6958 and studio b is 716-748-0112 thank you very much for listening to revolution radio freedom the number one listener supported radio station in the world
1: DeLong, your host. I invite you to step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can ever guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights, covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Tonight we welcome back Gloria Amendola. She's an author and intuitive with a passion for esoteric knowledge and dream language. She likes to find the truth of things hidden beneath the surface. She travels internationally and speaks to audiences about the Holy Grail mysteries and their connection with the secret destiny of America. Her travels have brought her to sacred sites worldwide to experience these powerful landscape temples firsthand, and they have changed her from the inside out. She's a modern-day Templar in the, and I'm spelling it, O-S-M-T-H order. Her commendary is in Rennes-le-Chateau, France, which is dedicated to Mary Magdalene. She follows in the footsteps of the enigmatic Essenes and Knights Templar, walking where they walked gathering impressions from the traces they left behind. Gloria has learned that where they walked, so too did the ancients. Initiates of the mysteries have gathered in these sacred sites worldwide for many reasons, reasons we're just beginning to understand. They left us an extraordinary legacy, one that could be decoded when we were ready to comprehend its true nature, and thankfully, that time has come. Her website is amazing. It's www.gloria-amandola.com. She's written a ton of books, and they're all really, really great. She has a Tower series, and she has a trilogy of Mary Magdalene revelations from a first century avatar. I've read all five, and I found them all um, in, insightful and, um, informative. They certainly did sort of make me think about a lot of things in a different way. They are exciting books. I know there's another one coming in one, in one of the series. I think it's the Tower series. We're going to have to ask her about that. And she, she also sponsors trips to sacred sites, which, uh, is a fascinating adventure in and of itself. So, welcome back, Gloria. I'm so glad you could come again.
2: Oh, thank you, Barbara. I'm really excited about tonight. It's a subject that's very dear to me.
1: Well, you know, we your your books all of them focus on on Mary Magdalene in one way or another and when i was looking at the material and sort of reading up on the sacred feminine and and how it is has definitely been a presence in our, our the evolution of the species if you will it seems to me that that we really haven't covered that aspect of your research and, and that aspect of your study as well as we could have should have would have
2: there, ah, it's such a deep journey. It, you know, I'm 16 years into walking with the Magdalene, 16 years into from when I first Got the nod that she was the woman I was to write the play about, which I did and workshopped in New York City in 2001, prior to 9/11, and um, it was a very different atmosphere in New York City. And I broke the play up because I really almost didn't want people to know what I was doing. I just wanted to make sure that the writing and the story were strong, because I didn't expect people to understand the mystery. That was what almost three years, I think, before the Da Vinci Code. And, uh, and the world was different. I mean, even from 2001, in the last 15 years, we've gone through an enormous amount of change. And the Da Vinci Code was certainly a catalyst for bringing forth that idea on a global scale to people about who Mary Magdalene really was in the Jesus story. And it's captivated me. And the more I keep going, the more I find
1: well you know it, it it I think one of the lines in your bio that has fascinated me when um you know, as I read it over and over again i I kept coming back to that line um you you hint at the true destiny of America and and what it is and what the sacred feminine and the goddess and and all of that has to do with the true destiny of this country, and I think that's something we should really look into.
2: Well, you know, it's the timing is really interesting, and I don't want to get political, but historically, just for me, you know, opinions aside, just from a simple factual basis, we are on most likely, most likely, the eve of um, Secretary Hillary Clinton becoming our first female. Presidential uh, yeah, persona, yeah,
3: um,
2: you know, for the Democratic Party, uh-huh. and I I say that because it, you know we in the Western world really do still America really still is looked at as the light in the world. I travel enough to hear people say that, even if they diss America. When push comes to shove, they look to America and again, not being political, not taking sides or opinions, but on a factual basis, we may have our first democratic uh, presidential candidate who 's a woman, and that is in whatever you think, again, not political, just keeping it simple and factual, we are integrating the feminine here in America, and it hasn 't been easy and there's a whole host of reasons in history that we can go back on and begin to look back on the saga of Magdalene and the scorned feminine and really put some big pieces in play and for your audience tonight I think.
1: Yeah, I don't, you know, and and I and I don't want to get political. Um and and I do feel that the presence of women in this country are they are coming slowly into a greater equality I guess, and, and there's still it's still they got a long way to go um but but you know you you can go back to the to the 1900s where 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 early 1900s where, where they didn't even have the vote and I know and and so and mm-hmm. and what what is fascinating is that in history, and, and, and the further back you go, the more profound it becomes, women were really, had greater prominence in, in all of society. And, and
2: go ahead. Well, you know, I, I think there was a time for the matriarchy, uh-huh. and then there was a time for the patriarchy. And at least the last couple thousand years, in, in from what I can see, um, the patriarchy has ruled it a certain way and I think what the, this, this rush of the Divine Feminine and this reawakening is so necessary for us to find our balance again because in truth the real alchemy, the great work of ancient Egypt was to balance the masculine and feminine within and some say that is the true meaning of the equilateral Templar Cross. Is that balance of masculine and feminine energy, the alchemy of that, you know, whether it's the two hemispheres of the brain, as they were working with in ancient Egypt, and the pineal gland, and you know, the biochemical awakening of our physical power, um, you know, that that has been our evolution point, and we're so we've been so out of balance with the masculine. Um, or the patriarchy, I like that word more. Um, having dominated in in politics and religion and in in certain ways, and it is shifting. And it is changing. And I think that's why on some deep karmic level, we're re-looking, re-examining the Jesus story because the evidence coming out and the pieces that we can put together about Mary Magdalene, which is a 2,000-year-old story, yeah. um, is, is very relevant for us to revisit.
1: Well, absolutely. And, and even things like the Dead, Dead Sea Scrolls bring out... More information than, than has been out there in a very long time. And I totally agree with you. I think that the, that the real focus, the absolute focus is, is not a balance of men and women within society. It's a balance of the male and female within the individuals.
2: Yes, yeah. You know, somehow in ancient Egypt, uh, where they got it from, I'm not quite sure, but we certainly can look to a lot. Like a lot of times when you see that cobra um, or that serpent um, being worn in the Egyptian figures uh, right around the third eye, mm-hmm. that is... That is an indication in a code that their pineal gland was awakened, that they were um, that they were awakened, enlightened individuals into certain mysteries, and that was had that that can only happen when the male and female energetic electrical currents within the body rise up the spine hit the pineal gland allow that substance to be secreted within the body as if it's a code of, as as if it's a signal saying to the body okay now you're ready for something new it's mm-hmm. it's another stage in our development and and so that is the balance but we lost it
1: well i think also that symbol um if you look at the yin yang symbol um it's it's not meant to, it's it's um, with mandelas with paintings that are circular the circle denotes or is representative of the whole and the fact that, that the yin yang symbol is in a circle um, i think people don't understand it's not a man and a woman in that circle it's the male and the female within the individual that is in perfect balance and and therefore there is a flow there is a a greater understanding of You know, bringing the feminine into the male energy so that the male has the emotional balance, bringing the power into the woman so that the woman has, you know, the power to, to exercise the wisdom that she carries within. I mean, it's, it's something that, that all of us should be striving for. And, and certainly, certainly activating the pineal gland is, is one of the ways to go, whether through meditation or, or whatever activity you, you so choose. But, um, yeah, I think
2: well, it's, it's funny you talk about the circles because if you look at Magdalene's Gematria or Gematria for, for your listeners, that's like an ancient form of numerology. And so we look at the numbers that were ascribed to the letters that were her title. This comes from the work of Margaret Starbird. Uh, but I always bring it up because it's so relevant. So the Gematria in the ancient world described a number. To a letter, just like if we were to get our names done and get into numerology, you know that's the conversion we're looking at too. But this was this was an ancient, ancient form. I believe it was both in Hebrew and Greek, and maybe even in in, in another language too. I just don't remember what that was. And um, what her number comes out to per the title of her name in her time was one five three. Which equals nine, and that's a, that's a whole, and we're in a nine year too, so that's a whole, a whole interesting aside. But the sacred geometry that is related to that is the Vesica Pisces, and it is the intersection of the two circles, and it's that womb-like middle, that, you know, that oval, um, shape in the middle where the two circles intersect, is the mm-hmm. Vesica Pisces, which is related to Magdalene in her numerology, and it's funny, so you're talking about the circle, so if you look at one as masculine and feminine, then the holy of the holies is that womb in the middle. And even, even in, uh, pentagonal geometry and in the great cathedral system, that womb, that shape was prominently featured in cathedrals. So they were mm-hmm. trying to tell us something.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, it goes way, 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 way back. I just, you know, the, the further back I went with all of this, you know, in, into the, into the goddess energy, into the sacred female. I mean, it, it was, it was bringing a new understanding and wisdom into the wholeness of the people. And, um, it's, it's one that I think we still struggle with today because, you know, you have powerful men and powerful women and, it, it, in, in, in all of the reading that I did, I kept coming over and over and over into the the material that that, that suggested that that God was a, a, a balance of the masculine and feminine. God was not male or female. God was a combination of the two in in complete balance.
2: Well, I think that's true, and I, I think this source energy in its in its holistic nature has to be that way that's the creative force right uh-huh. and whether it's personified in a pantheon of gods or you know explained to us in a certain way the masculine the logos you know the feminine the receptive the solar the lunar you know related to masonry and all those cycles and symbols it it, it tends to dumb it down or meet us where we've been at in our consciousness dualistically Right, yes. in, 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 its, in its dual nature, but that's a separation consciousness. But in its inception, as you were saying, if you go back, it's both, and that's mm-hmm. the symbol. That's the meaning of the yin yang symbol: is that within the masculine is feminine, and within the feminine is masculine, and together that makes the holistic um, uh, energy of source.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when you, when you pull it forward, when you see, see, that's where I see people not understanding what is going on here today. It's, it's, you know, yes, a woman has clinched the Democratic nomination, but, but that's not what all of this means. I mean, it's not a woman taking over a powerful position that a man has always held. That's not the that's not what any of the sacred feminine is suggesting.
2: So that's true. But certainly, when I was in the professional world and I dealt with powerful women, what I always observed. And, you know, things have changed a lot in the last decade when I, you know, left that profession for good. Um, But what I always observed with very powerful women is that the way in which they ascended the corporate ladder, if you will, is that they had to assert their masculinity. They had to play... A man's game in the corporate or business world, even if they were a woman, and their and their state and their success was measured by how well they played a masculine game or exerted exerted that more aggressive, more masculine energy. Um, and 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 I and I and I know that was the way that it was happening, but it seems to be shifting. So that now in the last 10 years, women have um, ascended enough, there's more to come in powerful situations, and now they've had a chance to establish that trajectory, and now it's a reevaluation of, wait a minute, things are not in balance here, they don't feel right. Um, If you have a woman in charge or involved or women in charge or involved or doing well in companies, sometimes the dynamics are very different. Different than if it's very male oriented, and I think we're working through the ripples of all of that imbalance and trying to balance.
3: Well, you know, so I the-
2: think- and in the world is really shifting in the way it's, it's expressing itself in in um, the corporate political power broker world.
1: Well, I think one of the things when I look back on all the archetypes. Um, you know, Isis, Gaia, Ishtar, uh, Persephone. I mean, all of these women who, Mary Mary Magdalene, um, Joan of Arc, um, you know, they, well, she went to war, but they were all really basically trying to bring peace and tranquility and togetherness into the world.
2: Well, on some level, I think that's true. I think I think when you get into some of the goddesses like Kali, um, there was a creative and destructive force, you know, that creation and that destruction that that's strength and that power and that ability. And I think in the more primal ancient of days, you know, the Sophia wisdom, there is that sense of, of the female having the power to create, to bring life and the power to destroy and take life. So so you have, a, you know, different sides to that coin. The way I see it having changed is somewhere along the line. Um, the patriarchy, the cycles of time, because we're always tied into the cosmology of our of our universe. We're always tied in to the cycles of time and to the procession of the equinoxes. Very, very uh-huh. important procession and that Earth axis. It's always tied into how we are in relation to the stars or the night sky, if you will, uh-huh. and and that has defined our reality. For a very, very long time. And so as the cycles of time have moved through the different epics in different ages, the astrological, the age of Pisces, right, the age of Aries, we're going into the age of Aquarius, all of that seems to permeate our consciousness on planet Earth, whether we want to admit it or not, uh, we are so not separate. We are so deeply connected to the Earth and the stars. Everything is so connected. And so we see during those times different impulses acting themselves out. And the Aquarian age, which we're approaching, is much more feminine or, if we define it differently, right-brained in its um, impulse.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So... So how do you see it? The the Magdalen material is it, it seems like it has a life of its own these days. It seems like it is 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 almost on a on, on it the, the more I look around the more I see more material on it and certainly your books are amazing and now, Thank you. you know, is there another tower book coming out soon?
2: There is, I'm actually, I've, I, I'm actually working very non-linear right now and it's making me crazy. I'm researching for three books and writing across the spectrum. The third tower is The Tower and the Well Awakening to the Grail. Um, and then from that and those, that voice of Yeshua in that novel, the Immortality series, um channeling is coming like the Magdalene series, and I've been researching uh, immortality for two years because it's an incredible subject, and I'm also working on a non-fiction book to help um, the reading audience understand some of the pearls of wisdom in Magdalene's channeled material and teaching because I'm finding incredible precedents with cutting-edge science that matches up to them, and I'm trying to put that together too. So I usually don't work like that, but right now that's how I find myself working.
1: Spirit has an amazing way of take, making its will known when you, never, when you least expect it.
2: I know, I know. You know, but I think as you talk about the resurgence of the Magdalene, I think it is it is critically important um, for people to understand that over the last two thousand years, from a religious perspective, that was very dominating worldwide until more recently, um, especially with Catholicism, or if we look at it differently, the uh, power of the Vatican. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, their money, their power, their influence. It is so critical for us to go back and look at the Jesus story because we know it's not what we've been taught. And we can, there's so many, uh, there's so much good information out there about the dying and resurrecting sun gods in the ancient world of which that was placed over Yeshua or Jesus and, and others, you know, Mithras. Uh, some say Osiris or Horus. I mean, there, there's many, many. And then we look have the archetype of the the Isis archetype, right? And mm-hmm. we have all those, you know, fertile, creative, powerful goddesses. And, and when we look at Magdalene, she very much follows the Isis lineage, in my opinion. Um, and and a lot of other people as well, and so we're relooking that because it's a story that has dominated our psyche quite incorrectly for a very very for two millennia. So as we we go back and return to it, I believe as a collective, for those who wish to make that correction, they're doing so.
1: Absolutely.
2: And that's why the Magdalene is so important, because she is the feminine, not the you know, Jesus or Yeshua, he was pretty, he was pretty steeped into the feminine energy. He would have understood Isis worship in his time. It was very prevalent. He would have understood the goddess. Even when we have that transmission of knowledge coming through John the Baptist in the River Jordan, that dove descending is Sophia. That are the, That is representative of the feminine wisdom teachings, which Magdalene inherently knew because she was her own powerful avatar, and that was her base, base of understanding. So even if you go back and look at the Nag Hammadi text, not the Dead Sea Scrolls, but the non commodity text, and you look at the Gospel of Thomas, there's, there's one part in it where Jesus is talking about making the female disciples male, and yes. what yeah, people don't that. often quote is about making the male disciples female. And he's talking again about that balance of male and female energy, that alchemy that goes back to ancient Egypt for sure. And so Magdalene, she was aware of all of that, and she was in her power. And it wasn't a time where women were um, kind of allowed to be in their power.
3: Well, yeah, well,
1: the disciples, you know, really didn't accept her. No, but- so, so that, uh, and, and she was the one that was supposed to go out and do the teaching, theoretically, according to what I've read anyhow. So. Well,
2: she did go out and do the teaching, and if you spend time in France, especially southern France, Provence and Languedoc in particular, and even in the Ariège region of southwest France, you will find many, um, church murals and statues and symbols and stories where she was the teacher. She absolutely, without a doubt, was the true teacher. So when they look, when you look at the, the esoteric knowledge as opposed to the traditional, the traditional says, well, Peter was the rock and he, he formulated the church. But Magdalene was the teacher of the true esoteric tradition, which was the secret school of Jesus.
1: Well, and according to your books and according to your research, I mean that that the Jesus did survive the cross, that they did go into um, Paris, and that they they and their family did thrive. And teach and, yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, that's where, you know, not only did I channel that, that, that was a tough one for me, personally, with my Catholic upbringing. I was able to get past the idea, you know, accept the idea that Jesus was married and had a family. That that was an easier uh, rewrite for me. But when I got to, began to really accept, when Yeshua would come to me in shamanic journeys and vision and meditation and say, um, I didn't die on the cross, and I would be so um, uh, disturbed by that because not because I couldn't process it intellectually, but emotionally and in my psyche, I had been so trained that it just was—it um, was a much harder shift for me to make, and and so I really do have uh, have. Um, Compassion for people that are looking at this material now and may be shocked, or you know, maybe they've heard it and they're wrestling with it. But I remember Yeshua saying to me very clearly in my in my meditative meditative work that you're just going to have to get over it. Whether whether you can accept I did or I didn't, he would come to me and say, "You're just going to have to get over this and move on and just let it work itself out." And I didn't like that answer in my meditation. I I, I was kind of you know, not happy with that, but I kept going and I wrestled with it and I made my peace that whatever, whatever the truth was, I was going to accept it. And I've come to learn after all these years that it really was recorded in the ancient in and Rosicrucian uh, teachings among other independent sources that he clearly did not die on the cross
3: yeah that's
1: that's you know in in whatever in the research that I've done that's the feeling that that I got as well that um it just doesn't make sense and you know trying to put a mystery together you know two thousand years after all the facts are gone is a tough one but 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 there's a sense of of you just know that 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 what's written isn't right and and after seeing after this length of time how so much manipulation has been done with the, a lot of the texts that are out there it's easier to say okay you know what is written in in many cases here is you know they they say that it's the it's the victors that write the history and and in the creation of a new religion they wrote the history that supported that religion and exactly and, and exactly anyway,
2: and you know, in my in my latest research on on Yeshua, because that's what I need to do for the third uh novel and then into the the, the channelled material, um, I've I've you know looked into the Essene and Rosicrucian information, and and I have to be fair, it wasn't only Catholicism that twisted the story, but even when Jesus was. The instructions for his education were deposited, they say, at Mount Carmel at the mystery school there in the Holy Land for his education. By like 12, 13 years old, uh, the Essenes took Yeshua to India because his training required him to understand the teachings of the East as well. Mm-hmm. And by the time he was 14, he was pissing off the priesthood there, because he was talking to different castes of people that they did not approve of, and teaching them the truth. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And his life was threatened, and they got him out of India, and he went to tibet um, and and he ran into some difficulty there too so the the point being that in the life of of Jesus, people need to understand that whether he was in the Holy Land annoying the priesthood there or making a larger point or India or tibet, he was still speaking the truth, he was committed to bringing in a new consciousness, and his his partner in that dance was Mary Magdalene because she was an equal, she was powerful, and she was trained in her own initiatory practices. Thank God the two of them had each other because they certainly didn't have much acceptance in the world. Maybe the secret school, maybe a hundred or so people. But, you know, they, they, they embodied an incredible and powerful truth In a world where priesthoods were mainly corrupt and were used to holding the power, and they didn't want to give it up, even though they wanted to be in his presence and and they wanted to learn from him, when push came to shove and those who were corrupt found out about him, his life was always threatened. So it's no... It's 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 no um, it's not a far cry to understand, you know, it's not a stretch of the imagination to understand if he underwent that as a man in his world at the time. Could you imagine what Magdalene as a woman who was powerful and understood the mysteries of ancient Egypt and ISIS and and, and had no voice in the world, could you imagine what she went through?
1: No, I can't. That's well and and yet in Paris uh in France um there there are churches there are statues there are um I, I mean it's Magdalene who is worshiped i mean you know she's the one they pray to it's it's you know it's not that Jesus didn't exist cuz of course he did but but you know it's 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 they seem to be honoring her in France much more and better than any other place in the world as far as i can tell
2: you know, I, I totally agree with that. And in all my travels worldwide, I have never been to a country that just by the feel of the earth alone, you know, put your feet on the ground in France, take your shoes off, put your feet in the earth, in the sand, and the red dirt, and feel it. And it is feminine in impulse. It is a feminine feeling to it. And it's interesting that that impulse, in my opinion, so incredibly corresponds to their veneration of the Magdalene. I think, that, you know, they go hand in hand.
1: Now, I mean, this goes along with, with the Templar material as well, but is, do you find that, that that theory, that philosophy, that feeling, that movement has, has made a, fo- a foothold in the United States.
2: Yes, I absolutely do. From the time when I began to um, study about her and write about her, it started in the year 2000, nobody seemed to have a clue or even care. And when I workshopped the play called Magdalene's Vine in New York City, nobody cared. You know, the writing was strong, thank God, but did anyone care? No, not at all. But then, for some reason, it started to spread, and when the Da Vinci Code came out, for whatever reason, you know, timing is everything, that catapulted that seed to a massive audience globally. I guess it was an idea whose time has come, right, that that old phrase. Um, and boom all of a sudden the beauty of a story sent out and, and you know even then it's still hard to imagine why it caught fire as it did
1: well it was a good story and but but i think it awakened in so many people um you know i have often felt and 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 and, and still do that 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 fiction writing and movies Um, usually there are elements in them that are, that are seeded there unconsciously to help awaken the consciousness of everyone who sees, who sees or reads the work. And even though it's not something that, that they, they get out, outwardly, subliminally that seed, that trigger is planted within their consciousness. And it does feel to me as though so many people are are, are, are having those aha moments and it's like, wait a minute. What's going on here? And, and, and they start asking the right questions or they start searching for the material. So so it's
2: so true. And and when I started to um, talk about the Magdalene and write the play and uh, begin my Magdalene circles, and um, I mean, I'm, I'm at least three, you know, up to 300 or more that I've done all over the place. I mean, people would show up, but they didn't even know why they were there. Mm-hmm. And it was really funny. And I would talk about this stuff and I'd be so pumped because I'd come back from France or England or the UK or Scot, you know, with all this, 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 this passion and this revelation. And it was as if I was dealing with many people, many good people who were doing interesting work. They would look at me and they, it was as if a part of them had, you know, that unconscious part had them there, but they didn't know why they were there. And they were listening, but they weren't really fired up. And now, all these years later, as I do these circles, as I do these events, the experiences with Magdalene, the passion, the devotion, the awakening, the recognition, it is it is not with everyone, but it is inspiring to me because I can see where all the seed work that we did. Is is really fruitful now. There's oh, no yeah. there, there is no stopping it at this point.
3: Well,
1: thank goodness. Um, and 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 don't you think also that over time there is a cycle of of awareness and enthusiasm, and then a time of dormancy, and then you know, kind of like dark ages to light ages. You know, I, it, it feels as though there are cycles that we go through as a species, and that, that we're coming into. An awakening. Now, I don't know if in our lifetime we'll see, you know, the culmination of it, but but we can certainly recognize that it's going on out there. And you you've spoken about, you know, sacred sites around the the world, and certainly le Chateau is one of the biggies. And oh yeah, and and certainly the Giza Plateau is another one. What are the ones you know you you talk about and and you've been Um, To to many sites here in the United States, just for those who are curious about, about you know, where are some of the sacred sites that are here in the United States that people can go to and feel the energy in?
2: Well, sacred, uh, I mean, there are a lot of um, incredible energies in the American Southwest, um, and the Anasazi spirit, um, you know, indigenous spirit is very powerful. But many people um, believe that the Templars and, of course, the Essenes, uh, and we have some interesting artifacts like the Tucson artifacts, which show um, their, their passage. Like once they, once they came to the northeastern United States was and Canada, that was really their, their point of entry. They began to come, you know, move across the country to obviously the West Coast. And I mean there is even the recording of a Rosicrucian in a scene community in Carmel, California in the sixteen hundreds. There 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 are these imprints. There are holy grail mysteries everywhere. So you know it's it's hard for me to pinpoint Um, You know, I can do it in France so clearly, and I can do it in the U.K. more clearly with certain sites and then certain cathedrals and following the Templars and the Guardians of the Grail, as I call them. Mm -hmm. When we get to America, the energy or the way in which um, they used that arcane knowledge to work with the spirit of place um, is a little bit different. So let me let me give an example. When uh, our founders were citing Washington D.C., it is alleged that they were looking for the God Meridian, which is on the seventy seventh longitude, longitudinal degree, mm-hmm. and that was so. Washington D.C. was um, seated as a spiritual center with goddess principles so how does that play out well they use those 40 posts in a diamond shape uh, to hammer out those boundaries, right, of the District of Columbia. Right. Uh, Columbia um, herself is, is a goddess, right? They, they were learning in, in the salons in Paris and in France the the mysteries, which included the Magdalene and the Divine Feminine. And I think I may have already said that it's believed that Jefferson in Washington definitely had connections, uh, bloodline connections, if you will, both in family um lineage and you know we could go off on that too so while they may have been flawed men especially jefferson um although it be brilliant they were given a destiny to bring the goddess energies and veil them but nonetheless incorporate them and their freemasonic brotherhood really helped to do that in Washington, so if you ask of where where is there, was there sacred energy intended in this country, we can look to Washington, D.C., and you can go there and find a lot of nods to the mystery and to the feminine and to the great work and the balancing of the masculine and the feminine, but then look at D.C. today. <laughs> and it's such a beautiful city, but look at it. Look at how the dark and the corruption has taken it from its purpose. Uh-huh. Absolutely. So,
1: wasn't, wasn't wasn't Franklin also involved in some of that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And he was a grand master of different lodges in, in terms of being a freemason. We well, yeah. we can't definitively say that Jefferson was a freemason, but we can with Ben Franklin. Well, yeah, and he, was- he actually gets very close to we can place him as a grand master in Carcassonne in the walled uh, Cité, you know, in Carcassonne in in France, and right. that's only about a 35-minute drive from Rennes-le-Château. And it's believed that he was in Rennes-le-Château as well. So so we, we can definitely place him there, and they were getting their instructions of what to do to in, to create this what we call a new Jerusalem or a new Atlantis, and it was based on matriarchal goddess principles. But they were so arcane that most people had no clue.
1: Yeah, I, I knew that he 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 started this journey in France, from what I understand.
2: Yeah, he, is, I mean, he was pretty beloved in, uh, Ben Franklin in France. Um, he was quite the character. But even, even Jefferson, you know, we do know from his, um and I've said this on his website in some of his travels, that when he does go to France, he does go to the Languedoc region where Le Chateau is. And he does write, I think, to his daughter and say, it's good to be back in the land of corn, wine, and oil. And that is clearly a Masonic reference, so mm-hmm. he's including that it's good to be back here, wow in these movies.
1: you know it's just you know when you start to look at history with different eyes once you get you know beyond what what school has taught you and find that most of it's not true um it 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 is a very exciting journey to to Take a look, especially with the the way they laid out Washington, their intentions. Um, These men, I mean, the founders of our country were deists. They weren't really religiously oriented, yet they were extraordinarily spiritually oriented.
2: Um, exactly. I mean, you hit on, you hit on such an important point for people to understand. People go around and blindly say, well, this country was founded on Christian principles. No, it really wasn't. And if you look at the founding fathers, they were deists. If you look at Jefferson, he rewrote the Bible and he you know to a Jefferson Bible and he took out certain references that he absolutely did not believe in and he had great reverence and respect for for Jesus but mm-hmm. but they knew they knew i i have a slide in one of my presentations uh, i it, it is so mind-boggling let me see if i can find it really quick but it's it's about um it, it's about his understanding of who who the catholic church was um in his time, and I could imagine if this kind of comment was made today by the press, picking, you know, with the press picking it up, they would have had a field day. But these are things, I think I found it here, let me see. Okay. This is Thomas Jefferson, and this is a quote of his, and he says, he, he's talking about, let's see if it's prefaced in the slide before. Let me just get back to that. No, it's not. Okay. So I took, a, I took this quote out and put it in a presentation I recently did up in Salem, Massachusetts. The clergy converted the simple teachings of Jesus into an engine for enslaving the world and adulterated by artificial constructions into a contrivance to filch wealth and power to themselves. These clergy, in fact, constitute the real Antichrist.
1: Very interesting.
2: And that was Jefferson.
1: Well, yeah, good point.
2: So, you know, so, so what they were doing, and, and people will say to me as a rebuttal, they'll say, well, Jefferson owned slaves, and Jefferson was a flawed man, and you speak of them as if they were so enlightened. And I say, no, 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 take a step back. They were, they were receiving instructions from, let's call it a higher power for the moment, and they had a mission, and they were to create this country, and create documents that would basically Allow people to be free so that they could spiritually evolve. Did they understand what they were being given? Did they understand what they were really doing when they were, you know, right in the middle? You know how it is when you're right in the middle of something? You know, it's hard to keep the vision. It's hard to keep everything together. I mean, you know, 16 years ago when I started on my my journey with the Magdalene, it was a passion. But did I know what I was doing half of the time? No. And when I even first started Magdalene Circles, I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. And I would meditate and it would come and whether it made sense to me or not, I stuck with it. But I had no clue at times what I was even doing. Now looking back, I see the beauty and the wisdom of what was created. So, you know, I'm not saying that they had it all figured out on a personal level because they were evolving too. But they were receiving instructions from a higher power and they did create something very special.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, they, they, to the best of their ability, they laid a foundation. And, and, you know, that's what, that's what Freemasons do. They lay the foundation and, and, okay. you know, Future generations will build upon it, hopefully. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, we may have wandered off the path here and there a few times, but I, I think, I truly believe that there are sincere people out there that are still striving with the same cause and the same purpose to create something that has, you know, beauty and power, and wisdom and, and you know, faith and, and you know, it's, it's every now and then you step you step back and you say, oh, my goodness, you know, this went awry. But but maybe that's part of the whole project, maybe going off the track for a while makes it, you know, creates the the need to go back on track and move forward again.
2: Well, it could be, and I I may have said on the the last show that we did in April, um, I may have said this, but it bears repeating. According to an astrologer friend of mine, I had asked him, what does the astrological chart of America look like? And he said, we are at a, a, a crossroads where we're either going to return to our founder's vision of this country, or we're going to go deeper into decay. And maybe it will be a little bit of both. Maybe it's not that, you know, black or white. Maybe there's a lot of gray areas. But the only way in which we restore the vision and move forward is by resurrecting um, the feminine, the feminine understanding, the feminine wisdom teachings, because that's the only thing that gives balance and sustainability to our world at this time.
1: Mhm. Well and also you know maybe the element of the phoenix rising comes in here too sometimes in order for us to go further we need to sort of um be reborn out of the ashes of the old and and you know we're looking at what we can see physically but but I can I I know for sure that consciousness is changing and shifting and in that shift of consciousness, is you know magic is happening. Now, now whether whether that consciousness shifting is and and it's not necessarily taking place within the quote unquote leaders. It's taking place within the masses, which is really even more important.
2: And it is, and it's and it's 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 more important. It's more sustainable. And it's really the way change takes place
1: yeah I, I I think that so so often we look at those people we have put in power and expect them to do for us instead of us starting to do for
3: ourselves,
2: I think so, and I think if you look at the whole GMO question and the whole organic question and you know being poisoned as opposed to eating healthy, I mean, I think that a lot of uh, people are driving change by their pocketbook, so it's a silent revolution going on. In other words, you know, you used to have to go to maybe one store in the past to find uh, organic produce and more innovative products, and now you can go in a, almost every supermarket and find an organic section. It may not be fabulous, but it's there, uh-huh. and you find more and more products, you know, going to uh, to a, a cleaner. Uh, version of themselves, and that's because people are demanding it, and by their pocketbooks, they're driving change, and I think that's phenomenal. I think where we're stuck is politics and religion, and in America, we are having, you know, the ride of our lives with this particular and we haven't had one like this in a long time in terms of of um, the way we're viewing our candidates what's being reported the shadow the shadow side is really rearing its ugly head, and we're looking at that and you know all the players are playing the part, but it's we the people that really is going to make all the change. I have no doubt about that
1: yeah i I found in <clears throat> just in just you know talking to people. Normally when, when there is an event like, like the election, you know, people just, you know, I'm going to go this way or I'm going to go that way. And I'm finding that, that more and more people are not only educating themselves, which is so fabulous, but, yep. but, but they are, they are beginning to, to take a look at, you know, they're, they're not swallowing, um, they're not swallowing things whole hog. They're really questioning. They're really looking at different things. And you know, I mean, not only not only the different candidates, but 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 the television and the radio and the newspaper are ways of reporting things. And it's it's they're not taking things and and just going with what's said. They're looking into things. They're reading books. They're researching. They're and and their own moral value codes are coming into question as well not so much at you know you, you can't judge another person but but you can you can take a look at where they are coming from and what they have you know what their what their actions have resulted in and and you know really taking a, a step back and saying is this the kind of person I want to be a reflection of what I have inside of me? And it's, it's wonderful. It's masterful. I, I don't like the, 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 um, you know, the riot stuff, but, the, but I think that's politically, you know, generated anyhow. I don't think that, that the public would do that unless, um, there were people out there, you know, stirring them up and making them want to, to be as, as chaotic as they are. But, but the populace as a whole, is becoming more and more awake than they ever have been before, and I think it's a very, very exciting time.
2: Oh, I think it's getting more and more exciting. It's a bit, it's a bit chaotic and crazy at times, but it is exciting, and I, I I'm just, I'm overwhelmed at times. I'm, um, I'm hopeful even with all the craziness. Um, I'm hopeful. I, I, I'm glad I'm on the path I'm on and I've had time to really integrate and spend all that time questioning and I go out there and I teach and I do my thing and people are coming from so many different pathways but you're right, they're questioning. They don't believe in authority. Um, they know they've been lied to in religion and politics and governments and stuff like that and that is good. That is good and if people, even if people are angry about that, that's okay too, because that anger can be used creatively. Um, and, and I think there's enough people out there who, who realize that. And you know, and then there's the dark side of it too. But you know, evolution is a sloppy mess. It's not. It's not you know a perfect science. It's not beauteous. It's it's there are many different people in the world. I think the last thing, and maybe as we go into the second half of the show tonight, we could talk about why religion is so entrenched. And, and if you will, kind of against women, especially the power source, which is the Vatican. I'd like to talk about that in 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 what I see that they did to Magdalene in the Jesus story, and how that rippled out through time a bit, and how they seem to be the last ones um,
3: the last
1: that are going to hold
2: play? on to their power.
3: Yeah, I think
1: that's great. We're we're real close to the music starting to play here, so. Um I I have clocks all over the place and I know about when when the break is coming and Sean has given me the um, the high sign that it's coming but I don't know what which clock I pay attention to so we'll just yes I think you're right and I would love to go into that material as well because I have very strong feelings about that but um let's let's there we go we'll be back in three to five minutes
0: safe Do you have the necessary information to assist you in confidently living through just about any survival situation Is survival and gardening off-grid living medical knowledge or even natural or man-made EMPs on your list of personal concerns do you have your documents and your personal information in a safe place in your hands where you know where it is well check out our preloaded EMP proof thumb drive Don't want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons? Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is seven one two four three. Two six nine five eight, and Studio B is seven one six seven four eight zero one one two. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio FreedomSlips the number one listener supported radio station in the world. This commune would take it in turns to act as a sort of executive officer for the week. Yes. But all the decisions of that officer have to be ratified at a special bi-weekly meeting. Yes, I see. By a civil majority in the case of purely internal affairs. Be quiet. But by a two-thirds majority in the case of more... Be quiet. I order you to be quiet. Look, you stupid bastard. You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, it's just a flesh wound. I don't believe I am. It is such a display of courage, skill, no, it's, great. it's stupidity. i oh, do you for that. you oh, what? Come here. What are you going to do, bleed on me? I'm invincible. You're a loony. The black knight always Round Roundtable Live, Monday through Friday, 1 a.m. till 4 a.m. Eastern Time. Bring your mind, bring your ideas, bring your voice. King Arthur had nothing on us. Here at Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. com.
1: And Night Lights Back, thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. If you like what you hear, please help us endorse our efforts and airtime by visiting the station support page and making a donation. From the station owner to all levels of management, the entire production crew, and every host, we all work without compensation of any kind except, of course, for the joy of being a part of a very unique and special station that supports a true sense of freedom. Any donation, even a small one, is greatly appreciated and keeps freedom ever present out there for those who seek independent thought, new paradigms, and philosophy. So help us keep all of this wonderful material out there. Help us to uh, enlighten the world in our own way and if not enlightened, then challenge, then open to question, then bring new insight into everybody's life. So uh, a small a small donation would be greatly appreciated. Okay, Gloria, let's hit religion.
2: Wow, what a subject, huh? Yeah. I did, um, while we were on break, I did look at another um, presentation and just in case, because I don't know if we've ever covered this material, but just to understand, you were talking earlier about um, the victors in history writing our history uh-huh. and what was really recorded, and, and when you go back and you really start to look at history and tear it apart, a lot of it, and especially as we go back further, was erroneous. It was incorrect. So, believe it or not, in the New Testament of the Bible, there is no mention of Mary Magdalene ever being a prostitute. And yet, even to this day, and certainly for a long time, that's how people uh, came to know her as being a prostitute, but no mention. And we know it came from Pope Gregory. Uh, It was about 590 Common Era. And he made this decision to conflate two women, two stories, in the uh, stories that got included in the Bible. There were many that didn't, and many texts didn't. Um, And he reduced the confusion, and he just conflated the story and created his own narrative. Whether it was um, intentional or not, it stuck. It stuck for so long that even when a papal bull, like... um, like um, a directive that comes down from the Pope from the Vatican was issued in 1969, officially saying Mary Magdalene is not a prostitute. How many people ever heard that? How many people ever got it?
1: Right. It's still being talked. To, uh, it, is she still being portrayed that way from the pulpit?
2: Yes. Yep. And and I think you know if if I had to garner a guess. Based on all my years of research and all the things I've seen and all the people I've met, I've come to the conclusion, and I've really took my time coming to this conclusion, that it was deliberate. It wasn't an accident. It was deliberate. Because in changing the Jesus story into a religion, that could be bought and sold. The Council of Nicaea, Constantine, changing the story, banning the books. It was then they took they they just completely reversed the story, and then they took Mary Magdalene and they stripped of her uh, stripped her of her power because what more um, what title of, to a person is more powerless for a woman than being a prostitute? Right.
3: Right. Right.
1: Well and and you know it's funny because even even Constantine his his mother uh traveled all over the place gathering relics and things like that they were they were um they, they they were fascinated with with the relics um by the way did you want to take calls because we do have some calls coming in Oh sure Okay Sean um hi 860 you're on the air with us Oh, am I? Wow. Yes, you are. (laughs) So, am I able to ask a question? You certainly can.
2: What I want to know is, am I wasting my time in the relationship that I'm in?
1: Oh, I'm so sorry. We're not doing readings tonight. Oh, you're not?
2: (laughs) Nope, but thank you for calling. Okay. So, how can I listen into the show, though? Because I can't figure it out now that you changed the
3: station.
1: Um well if you go to Revolution Radio um the website, you can hit the chat button and that will pull up the um the uh the recordings of the shows and you can listen right there.
3: Okay, thanks.
1: Thanks for calling. Okay, Gloria? Yep. <laughs> it's 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 <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, That's okay. You know, you know how it is when, when you're a psychic, people, um, always, always want to slip a question in. Um, I get she, it. She had a good question. Um, are people wasting their time with their relationships to the church? Should they be looking at a more spiritual way of, of venerating and, and, um, you know, being enlightened by the teachings of Mary and Jesus?
2: Ah, I guess I have um, a couple of responses to that. And I like to make this distinction when I talk to people because there are people who are attached to their religion, which I think, by the way, as a collective, we are moving away from. Uh, I think the statistics basically show that. But for those who still are, to, you know, they need to look at what that relationship with the church is like. And if you're looking at the Catholic church in particular, having come through that system, they do not treat women equally. And I don't know why any woman would want to be bound by hierarchical rules that um, want power over women. Doesn't fly in my book. That's not a. That's not the way Jesus would have wanted it. Because he loved women, he understood their power. He, you know, it just it makes no sense to me. And also, too, if 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 you can bear to look at it, the Catholic Church is full of doctrine and um, policies that are not based on the teachings of Jesus. No, Nor no on the that's true. Because of the stains in the way, at all. So, attaching yourself to an institution that is deeply flawed and has sought to control people and manipulate them—why would you set yourself up for for that kind of relationship? I, me personally, I can't do it. Maybe somebody else can.
1: Well, you know, the mores of the time when when Constantine was was creating the church, um, you you know, women didn't have a very large um, they had no power during that particular time frame. They were basically you know, a necessary whatever in order to perpetrate your your genetic pool, but other than that, they, they didn't have any power. So so in creating the church as they did, it was all males.
2: Well, that's true. And there therein began the great imbalance in our world. And people, especially in Europe, you know, and even in France, they still struggle with this because there are pockets of Catholicism, you know, in certain areas. You know, more it's more Latin America now where the the church has any real strong foothold. But, you know, people still struggle with this stuff. And because, you know, the Vatican is in Rome... You know, they feel its proximity much closer than we do. You know, we're we're lucky to have this separation of church and state written in uh to our code and it helps us um, it's helping us actually, I think, evolve spiritually. So when when you begin to look back at all of that and see the machinations that were created, I mean we were talking about the Roman Empire and its decline, reorganizing and becoming basically give or take the Holy Roman Catholic Church, and they weren't fond of, you know, the, I don't think the Romans were, you know, that uh, fond of women necessarily either. I don't think they had a lot of power, um, but, but I, think that, I think what really, um, the point I'm trying to make is that the Vatican has always known the truth, but they chose not to embrace it. And their mercenaries killed the descendants very deliberately. so let's let's go back and look at France and Europe, and the Inquisition. right? Okay. If you look at, there was a widespread belief in medieval times that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were married and had children. Right. It was prevalent. It was probably like it is today. I don't know, I can't compare it, but but there was a widespread belief. Now Louis the Eleventh of France, he ruled between fourteen sixty one and fourteen eighty three. Louis the eleventh of France, he believed the French royal family descended from the Magdalen. Uh-huh. The mythical Merovingian warriors in that whole lineage believed They descended from Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and they were known to have mythical powers. The Cathars believed that they were married, and they and they um, these people were attacked by whom? They were attacked by the King of France and the Vatican, and they systematically perpetrated genocide. On a race of people who they called heretics, who just understood a deeper truth. And if we think ISIL or Daesh is brutal today, you need to go back and look at the Inquisition. Some of the records and practices—they were heinous, and they really went after women.
3: They did, they did.
2: And it, you know, and it, and it kept going on and on. You know, after the Inquisition was over, you know, lots of other things still kept being perpetrated. And they were, it was primarily uh, perpetrated against women who showed any um, ability um, for the divination arts, for the understanding of herbs, for the connection to the pagan practices connected to the earth. I mean, they systematically um, perpetrated heinous crimes on women for a very long time. And you have to ask yourself why.
1: Even look at Joan of Arc. I mean, you know, she, you know, talked to angels, and they, they, they did not treat her well towards the end there.
2: No, they didn't treat her well. I mean, Joan of Arc is a whole nother story um just very Christ like mission. But it it's actually believed in, in parts of France and in certain circles. And I don't want to say too much here because I need to um go a little further in my research with this, but I can tell you that there are alternate stories of the true story of Joan of Arc, that she wasn't just this you know, child out in the country necessarily, but that she was the illegitimate child of the queen at the time. And she was schooled in the ways of the royal court. So when she goes into the, you know, to the court of uh, of of the king, you know, the royal court to, you know, to talk trash, if you will, she, somebody was schooling her. And she was great and set up. So her story has never even been properly told.
1: Yeah, I suspect that, you know, and I've heard, um, you know, here and there, just fragments that, that she did not die when she was supposed to have died, that, that she had, she did live on, um.
2: That's absolutely, yes. That's, that's, there's an understanding in France, France about that, and there is supposed to be archival evidence of her much later on in her life making requisition to travel um, to a royal ceremony. might have been a coronation in Germany, not positive, it's a little sketchy. I'm still trying to track down all this stuff. But, um, yeah, making requisition to travel to another country, um, her story has not been told. But was she set up? Absolutely. Um, Did certain powers um, betray her? Yes, and why? Think about think about the power that she had.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it 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 had to be for her, frightening and yet amazing. You know, when when you have that kind of power, when you when you are in communication with a higher power, and and you know it, and and, and it's so many people who do have that connection. It's sort of like you know, so it's it, it's sort of like. Knowing something so amazingly phenomenal that you just want to shout it from the rooftops and yet knowing that you can only share it with a select few or, or you will be considered crazy and be
3: put away.
2: Yeah, or you will pay a price, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if it happened to Jesus, it's gonna to happen to anyone, right? Anyone, and so, you know, there again, when we talk about this relationship to the church, if you think about it, there, and I've said this many times, but I don't think, you know, it's something that again bears repeating because of the programming we've all gone through. If, if Jesus was truly the Son of God, right, in, in that, understanding mm-hmm. and the the people could kill him what what subliminal message does that send you know that even if the son of god you know acts out of control speaks you know spoke his truth did what he did the powers that be in any given epoch of time in history can kill them yeah no, i mean then- that's type of presence on the dark side that we've received without even knowing it because really shouldn't the Son of God be all powerful
1: yeah, he pro- well he I, he was and yet he didn't use it against anyone you know I mean come on he he was here for peace and love,
2: not warfare right 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 and he would and he was here to enlighten people you know not to redeem them but to reveal a pathway of initiation. And how again you raise that male and female energy based on the ancient systems, uh, you know the systems of ancient Egypt and resurrection rituals, and how you woke up the biochemistry of the body, and you became very powerful, very co-creative. And that's the, those are the teachings that we've lost. Now most people can process the idea that religious institutions would not want you to be their population to be empowered because that wrecks the hierarchy of. The their entrenched power and, in certainly, in case of the Vatican, their wealth.
1: Oh yeah, um, I, I wanted to bring up. Um, I wanted to ask you about lords because you know here again is is Magdalene presenting herself to children, and you, you know it, it, it does seem that for some reason Paris. I mean, you know, obviously it was because the Magdalene energy is there, but. Um, though all of those prophecies have not been shared have they
2: are you talking about the fatima prophecies
3: the fatima yeah yes
2: yeah the um lords is mother mary and the fatima prophecies um i I believe it's the third one that was never revealed Uh um i i don't i don't Know that I have this right, but what i will what I will tell you is that what i 've been told is that the one that wasn 't disclosed was is a prophecy about the the demise of the church. Can I prove that no i can 't prove it because we're talking about the three secrets of Fatima I think that 's what you 're referring to
3: yes yes
1: i I had a friend who was a priest, and I asked him about you know the prophecies and why you know what it was that was so that was so bad that the pope wouldn't let it go and and you know he said well i can tell you what it was and you know this is going to seem so off color and i said what he said it was the bill for the last supper yeah. but but <laughs> uh, i i don't think the church is ever going to let it out i i and you know you you take a look at the vatican and the material that they have stored there, the, the secrets, the, the um, my God, the material that they have under lock and key that they aren't sharing with the world, why? Except that it proves that they are a, a fake, a facade, and, and that they've been lying to us for thousands of years.
2: They've been lying to us, and their whole Jesus story is completely incorrect. And, you know, not only is it incorrect, not only did they destroy the Magdalene's reputation and try to strip her of her power, what they didn't plan on was that the people would rise up and the people would say, we know the truth. And nobody embodied that more and especially in southwest France, although the Cathars were in other parts of Europe, but nobody embodied that more than the Cathars. And when you go to the Rennes area or the greater Languedoc and Ariège actually, you, they have a, a word, it's, it's called OC, O-C, and it's a very defiant yes. And that's why in the fires of Montsegur, you know, the parfaits, the perfected one, the priesthood, the enlightened ones, you know, they came down off that pog, off that mountain, and they said, we would rather die in your fires than live a lie. And they believed in the alternate story, and they knew how... They they believed much more than just the corruption of the priesthood. They understood its evil and its dark side. And, and Jefferson was basically saying the same thing, calling them the Antichrist. I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful.
1: Oh, I'd say so. I, especially since Antichrist really isn't... Um, in the Bible, and yet for some reason it seems to have, have sunk into um, our the vernacular that you know that there it, it is prophes- prophesized there will be an antichrist. As far as I understand it, there, to me. An antichrist is someone who is against the teachings of Jesus, the true teachings of Jesus, and that would.
2: Well, I mean, I I think that the you know again from the Vatican, from the high up, from the high places, I I don't believe that they they ever truly had that as part of their agenda. I believe it was a money making operation that was put forth by. Constantine and then those who followed in, the Roman Empire to, to just control. Religion controls people. And, you know, the Romans were good at certain things and they adapted, you know, they adopted some of their practices. I mean, we know that bloodline descendants were ruthlessly hunted down murdered. I mean, when this story finally breaks and so many of us have dedicated so many years to, you know, even just trying to get the facts, you know, we've had to pull them out of thin air and, you know, go through, go through hoops because they literally gathered everything. They destroyed it. They have it in the secret archives they make a joke of it. They say, oh, you know, that's just silly. I mean, please, please, we're, lo- we're looking at a much darker aspect and that darker aspect Feared the power of the feminine.
1: Yeah, I. I, It 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 seems to me that that things, either politics or and or religion or both or or any corporate anything, it's it's sort of like you know absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what we're seeing in so many places. Somebody in, in one of the, in the chat room said perhaps things are more complicated, multiple gods, multiple dimensions and a lot of soap opera among them all. It's true. And yet that which was preached by Jesus and Mary was so simple and so easy.
2: Well, we have to understand it was, but we but we need to make a distinction. The exoteric teachings, the, exo, the outward to the public exoteric teachings of Jesus were simple. Because mm-hmm. they had to be. Because if you understood his audience at the time, they had to be parable. They had to be story. It had to be something that the people could understand. In the inner circle... And the esoteric of which it is believed that the secret school numbered of about one hundred and twenty that those teachings were based on the mystery school teachings based on ancient Egypt and other systems certainly Eastern systems that Yeshua would have um, you know picked up in his teenage and in early adult years in his uh, in his studies abroad and then of course Magdalene with her deep understanding of the mysteries especially so, in their inner circle, they were actually wielding very powerful teachings. They understood the teachings of Pythagoras. I mean, Isis. They were very sophisticated and very smart and very powerful. So, there really was, um, you know, there really at that time, was a dual world going on for them. So, 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 love is always the central theme. And that 's awesome, and that 's what was really put forth in the exoteric, but make no mistake in the inner circle. they were working with very powerful concepts that they understood, and that 's what they were working with to affect change on a consciousness level um, through the dimensions, through the grids. They understood all that
1: uh, yeah, and the the esoteric um You know, the things that, the, 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 the elements, the modalities that we have that are, are a part of us and that we have access to if we go, go about it in the right way are, are magical. I mean, they, they would blow your mind. I I mean, the things that Jesus did, you know, He said, all this and more will you do. He meant it. And.
2: He did mean it. And I think the, the lovely part of where we find ourselves in our development is that science is attacking some of the big questions or, ch- or you know, uh, challenged by them. And they are finding, you know, science and spirituality are merging um, much more than religion and spirituality.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I i it, it, there is, I, I try to always say to people, you know, there is religion and spirituality can go hand in hand or they can be separate from one another. It, it You know, it, it is one is an outgrowth of the other, certainly, but but you don't have to be a fanatic religious person in order to be spiritual. And, you know, it, you, you know, the opposite is true as well. So it, it's a matter of of. To me, personally, seeking the spiritual aspects that are carried within and, and understanding how to access them, how to utilize them, how to incorporate them into your, into your physical reality so that, so that your physical reality expands beyond this dimension.
2: Well, take this as let me paint a picture for your listening audience to get a to get a sense of the exoteric and esoteric and what that specifically looked at looked like. Let's say Jesus and his disciples, Mary Magdalene, the women that were with them, their group. Let's say they were in a particular area and they were teaching and they were doing their healing work, and and Jesus as as the main speaker would have um, told his story and his parables. That was what they presented to the public, if you will, and that presented all sorts of situations that came up. When they were in their esoteric group and they were using their spiritual power and, and expanding their consciousness, they um, would um, tone prayers in the form of a chant. Utilizing vowel sounds. So in my groups I do, I've been doing vowel sounds of the chakras, not the seed sound, the vowel sound. And then I later found this. They were doing that because they understood that chanting the vowel sounds had a sympathetic effect upon the consciousness and ner- nervous system of the patient. So if they were doing their healing, because remember the Essenes were great healers in ancient Egypt. They were the Therapeutes, or the the therapeutai. They were legendary. And so as this knowledge passed along, in the inner circle, they were working with very powerful energies as they were training themselves to be healers. So they may have gone out into the public and healed, but people didn't know how they were healing, right? Were never given that information. Why? Because it was powerful and it was secretive and it was veiled. But those, those are, that was one tool they were using to relax the nervous system, so when they applied healing technique, the body, the DNA, was more relaxed. Mm-hmm. That's just one thing. Another thing we know they were doing is they were working with Aramaic as a language, and Aramaic is considered the language of the heart, and they would actually, you know, only paint this picture. Let's say these scenes like to gather in caves a lot. So they would gather, and let's say there were 50 or 100 of them. they would begin chanting not only the vowel sounds, they would begin chanting the Aramaic heart prayers. And they knew that they had to work with the root chakra and the heart chakra, and they knew they were working with certain primal fears. And uh, programming, they knew this. It, I'm positive they knew this. I could tell by the way they were working with the Aramaic Heart Prayers. Uh, I am safe. Uh, I am unconditional love. Radiating that energy through the sound, through that sound of the language and the chanting and the speaking of it so that they were creating an energy field. Mm-hmm. And they were moving the fears of that root chakra and opening it up and moving it into the heart where we know the magic happens with a lot of the healing techniques. It's that toroidal field of the heart. That is what we're beginning to unlock. You know the electromagnetic field and the power of it. So in their in their private time, they were masters, and they were teaching others around them to be masters. And they were working in, with incredible, um, powerful knowledge and the powers of being knew this stuff.
1: Well, it would seem to me that those techniques had to have passed. Down through time to this yes. generation.
2: Yes, and mostly they were passed down through the Essenes.
3: Well,
1: then wouldn't you wouldn't you see clumps, groups of these people around the world utilizing these skills and talents still? I mean, wouldn't it be something that was still accessible today if you knew where to look?
2: Well, you can look to the Rosicrucian teachings for some of this. And some of it's becoming more available. It's like Freemasonry. You know, you, you in the past nobody would tell you what any of the the rituals or the degrees were were about, and you know you were threatened the the oaths of secrecy. And some of that still holds true today with Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism. But there's plenty of people coming forth. But I think, in my experience, what I've observed is that you have always a teaching whether it's secret or not, but you have to match the teaching with your personal power. Uh And that power only comes from initiation and clearing and transmuting and transforming the great work in ancient Egypt, alchemy you know, personal spiritual alchemy. And the pathway of the grail, the grail stories, it was all about personal alchemy and how, you know, you have to merge with the feminine energy if you're a male to complete that process within yourself. That's what's encoded in those stories. You know, there's a couple different levels, but that is by far the most important um, teaching, and it's veiled. It's secretive. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that, even if you find a secret, a book of secrets or a book of secret knowledge, if you don't understand it, you can't really utilize it. And I think with the teachings of Yeshua in the inner circle, you had to match the, the, the understanding of it mentally or intellectually with your own spiritual power that went hand in hand.
1: So in, in other words, um, I have always, I have come to, to believe, you know, this week, this is my theory, you know, it, it may, it may change next week, but my theory is that the quote unquote hall of records that, that Toth speaks of, that, that we've, mm-hmm. we've heard bandied about, is, is truly encoded within our, each person's individual DNA. And
2: yeah, that, I totally agree with that.
1: I and, totally and, agree with that. Okay. So, so maybe I'll keep this theory for a month or so. Um, so, that, <laughs> so that, so that the journey, the initiation you're talking about is not one you, you, you go externally to seek, but it is an internal journey into yourself and your self-awareness and your higher consciousness where, where you have access, where you can trigger the activation of these different strands of DNA that are not at this moment vibrating, turned on, whatever you want to call it. We, we, we don't use, but, but a, at least one pair of, of the strands of DNA that we carry within us. All the rest of them, the scientists call garbage DNA, and I think they're the priceless pieces of DNA that we've all been looking for externally for generations.
2: I I agree with that, and I think when we were talking earlier about activating the masculine and feminine energies within us, and again, that being encoded in the quest for the holy grail is that if, if, if our body systems are set up so that if we do the work, of remembering, awakening, transmuting old behavioral patterns, old thought patterns, old beliefs, really being spiritually responsible for our journey. And we raise the kundalini energy and we raise it up and we go past that sacral chakra and the sexual impulse and we keep raising it up into the brain, into the pineal gland. The pineal gland is the third eye. It's the eye of inner sight. But it's believed that when that truly gets pinged. A substance emerges, oozes, and uh, you know from it. And to me, my belief is that it signals to the body. It's an inherent system that says, "Okay, your body recognizes. Ooh, that's been released. The person is ready. So we're going to now go to the next lesson, the next level of experience, because we got the signal." Okay, We're, they're ready. We got the signal. And I mean, we know the body is a complex organism of messages, you know, in the cells, in the brain, or even there's electrical impulses and flow. It is an incredible system. So when you talk about the DNA, the Akashic record being encoded within us, I believe it is, but in our own, in our own protection, basically um, circulatory and nervous systems, we have to go step by step. And that's what the mystery schools did to properly uh, to prepare the human body and its corresponding energy fields as it's ready to take on more conscious awareness. Because if we're not clear and we just go try and take it on, because, you know, think about the last Indiana Jones movie with the crystal skull and the character that Cate Blanchett played as a as a German Nazi woman, you know, seeking the skull. And at the very end, when they place the skull with the other skulls, you know, in that um, chamber, uh-huh. she wants know everything but she's not really ready to know everything she just thinks she is so the skull sends forth the transmission and it kills her because it's too much she can't handle it
1: well it seems to me that that we carry within us ancient wisdoms and it's it's a matter of of you know, using them, learning them, um, awake, reawakening them by, by sometimes study. Sometimes you read a book and you, and you suddenly remember something you already knew. It, it, you know, material seems very, very familiar and, and so, so it's, it's easy to assimilate it. Uh, but, but, you know, these, there, there are so many schools out there that are, it's scary, you know, I'll teach you how to become an ascended master. I'll teach you how to see into the fourth dimension. And the reality is we are our own teacher. And if we go to our own personal internal source, it seems to me that, that it will take us along this pathway in in the manner in which it is best for our spirit at this time. So, no two people will do this in the same way.
2: They won't do it in the same way, but I guarantee you that we, based on our biocircuitry in the human body, we have to, and I know this from my own journey, from my studies, and from what I've learned from, from other quiet masters, quiet masters, is that if Jesus came to reveal a pathway of initiation, to prepare us for revelation, conscious remembering. You know, Magdalene says in my trilogy that our brains are wired for remembrance and that Jesus had it and that we too will have it when we're ready. We're just taking, you know, more steps on the evolutionary ladder to get to that point because as much as it's spiritual, it's biological, it's Uh physical you know, that's the ascension, spirit and matter, that union, the masculine and the feminine. And and so, you know, these are very, very powerful teachings. And there was great wisdom in some of the mystery schools um, in how we do this. And we have to treat ourselves um, very, you know, very carefully and support ourselves with proper nutrition and sunlight and all that business that we hear about and, you know, our learning about um, in order to support that light, mm-hmm. in order to support that spiritual and physical union in that ascension, and that does, however you choose to do it, it does take time, and it does take steps, and maybe in generations to come it will happen quicker, but where we are right now, we we still need those steps, we have to be careful, because it is it is full-on energy.
3: Yeah, and I've seen
1: people that have tried to rush the process, and and inevitably <laughs> they go to the dark side. <laughs> um, yeah, Hitler, because
2: they make themselves very vulnerable.
1: Well, Adolf Hitler is a great ex- is a great example of this. You know, he I agree with. Him. He he went to the dark side, and he he went for he went for the the shortcuts. And they, they totally, they totally warped his mind.
2: They did, and you know, it's really funny too because Hitler spent a lot of, he sent his cronies to southwest France, uh, Monster Gear in particular, uh, to retrieve the secrets of the Grail, the Atlantean power tools, whatever we want to call them. He was looking for all of that, and there are very intense energies there, and they can go either way at times because it's depending on the choices you make. And those, those energies are, especially in Rennes-le-Château, which I know you, you love, you know, talking about the Ren mystery, the, the Ren Le Chateau mystery is so steeped in the dark and the light, so it's, it's really creation energy, because it's got both, but depending on sometimes time of day, it's very fluid, one becomes more dominant than the other, and I've seen so many people, you know, walk up to that village, and they think they've got it all figured out, and they walk right into the dark energy, and I mean, that's very powerful dark energy, and things happen, and it's not pretty. So you know, it, it, we have to really be aware of this as we make our, you know, our progress in our own spiritual evolution as a species. You what? know, and and I think the real pathway of ascension comes through, certainly the teachings of Yeshua, the hidden teachings, um, and they are a compilation of probably you know many systems which he is what he studied. And, you know, I think where we find ourselves now, we have to find a way to commit to that pathway more and more because artificial intelligence is gaining tremendous speed and acceleration in how it's taking over that consciousness evolution. And that just doesn't quite feel right to me.
1: Yeah, no, no, it doesn't to me either. Uh, You know, you've you've mentioned the Holy Grail a number of times, and you know it 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 has been it's been touted to be um, Mary Magdalene. It's been touted to be um, you know the the cup that he used at the Last Supper. It's been touted to be a number of different things, and and I'm beginning to feel that it's probably all and none of those things. Is it, is the Holy Grail really possibly an awareness within each and every one of us that, that we're, we're looking in the wrong places for it when we're looking externally and we should be looking internally? Is the Holy Grail actually a thing you could see and touch or is it a concept you must embrace?
2: Well, I'll read in my Mary Magdalene Revelations from a First Century Avatar. This is volume three, and somebody submitted the question, what is the Holy Grail? So I will read her response, which is very short. Magdalene says, and, and this was channeled from her, in response to what is the Holy Grail. She says, the Holy Grail has been many things to many people throughout time. But the common thread in all of the stories is that the Holy Grail is a life force. It is a certain kind of energy. It transforms. It heals. But it can kill and destroy. It can bring enlightenment or drive someone mad. It can expand you to be as big as the heavens or shrink you down to the size of an ant.
1: Okie doke. So that basically says it's all things to all people, just about.
2: What she's saying is a life force. It's a life force energy. And how you interact with that life force energy is according to your vibration, right? Is according uh to your choices is according to are you from the heart and are you from love? Are you, you know, steeped in the ego? Are you from in fear or, or dark energies? It's it's a life force, and it's going to be interpreted or come through you based on the codes and the frequencies that your energy fields are emitting. So so, it's a life force.
1: So people who are chasing down, you know, um, a, a box with angels on it, um, and, and, you know, magic stuff inside are, are really chasing their tails because, and, and, and that answer, the answer you gave makes more sense to me than the fact that there, there is a box that can kill people if they touch it or, or, you know, they, they say that, the, that the Holy Grail is in Ethiopia or, and they don't say what it is. They just say, oh, the Ark of the Covenant is in the Ethiopia.
3: So, right,
1: right. so. Those seeking the Grail, well, even in Parsifal, the Grail was not a thing; it was a concept
2: yeah and and ultimately it's it's a life force energy, and so she says it's been many things to many people, so the guardians of the Grail throughout time have crafted stories and ideas, and people have taken them on and it's it's been this Big mystery, you know, what is the Holy Grail? It's, it's this question and ultimately, you know, she's saying it's a life force energy and even in the Grail stories again, as you look at them, it's about the male, you know, in the story being, seeking his female. Counterparts, uh-huh. so we can bring it back to the alchemy of the masculine and feminine energies. But at that time, and this has always been the beauty of, of the hidden guardians, is that they've had to work with either the archetypes or the stories or the concepts at their time, at any given uh, century or period or age, in order to disseminate a story that the people would would accept. Yeah. And we'll take on. And and that's how information is encoded. It's just like in, in the Freemasonic rituals. They talk about Enoch. They talk about certain um, ancient stories. And most of the people... Um, don't have a clue really what they're memorizing, they're just memorizing. This is mm-hmm. like when you're in school, you have to pass the test so you memorize. And you don't often really know the material, you just memorize it. But what a brilliant way to keep the seeds of an ancient story intact worldwide mm-hmm. but by making it, your initiates do that. I mean, it's a very dumbed-down version, but it's what was crafted during its time that would make sense to the people.
1: But doesn't it also subliminally implant a wisdom that will find its time at yes. some point in time? I mean, that's yes. subliminal stuff. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, I can remember when I pledged a sorority, um, we had to learn the Greek alphabet and and we sang it. And to this day, I can sing the Greek alphabet. So that so that you yeah. know something that you have to memorize, something that that, that becomes so Natural to you you can you can spout it out, you know you know without thinking means that it is it has hit a level of consciousness deeper than you know which is pure memory is, so that so that by by that implantation you are you are literally seeding your consciousness with a philosophy that you may not consciously understand but subconsciously. You, it's incorporated into the totality of who and what you are.
2: I know, isn't it extraordinary? It's
1: programming.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it is programming, and I mean, I think I think there are certain ways in which, at least, um, like like take for instance the Gothic cathedrals that the Templars funded and you know the Masons built throughout. Well, let's say throughout France, but you know throughout Europe, some of the most extraordinary ones are in France, and they're in they're they're extraordinary even even to this day. If you look at the Great Chart Cathedral um, outside, you know, to the west of Paris. There. Yeah. That, in itself, is you know volumes of books, but but basically, and not in its inception, because Bernard of Clairvaux would have had more of the figure geometry of the temple of the of the cathedral, which would be, it was pretty much based on pentagonal geometry, the star, the five pointed star, Venus, the feminine that 's what they were veiling there, but as time went on, they put in those beautiful stained glass windows with that famous sharp blue color it 's so mesmerizing and so So what they did for the people is they told stories in the windows because the people couldn't read, they couldn't write. You know, they, you know, most of the population was illiterate. And yet, you know, in the Great Shark Cathedral, one of the first windows you see when you walk in the main entrance to the right is the Magdalen window. And it's highly heretical, but they put it in such beautiful color and story. And so the mind takes it in, even though the people may not have understood it, but it was an initiatory pathway. And they were bright enough through using the secret knowledge they had to learn how to use light, sound, and color to stamp or program a memory onto our consciousness as well.
1: That's yeah, amazing. It really
2: It is amazing when you begin to really see who were these people and how the hell did they know all this stuff.
1: And how but brilliant they were with I mean when you look at what the Catholic Church was doing overtly, when you look at what the masters were doing on a very, very different level, they, they were they were basically um, encoding us with a wisdom and a knowledge, they were programming us with it where where at some point in time it would come into awareness to be able to combat what was happening externally
2: amazing isn't it
1: it's really cool
2: i mean i mean it's extraordinary that this this has gone on. This is an excerpt just to kind of, it really goes with the theme of what we're talking about, and so we picked Shark Cathedral as a very tangible, physical um, example. There's a panel in there which hits this rising um, you know, there's a summer solstice, a little hole that goes down to the floor and it beams this light. It's just precise and incredible. So this is from Freddie Silva's ebook, which on Shark, which is excellent. He's talking about these alignments and these encoding Throughout Shark Cathedral, and he's talking about this particular panel in the cathedral that's lit by the rising equinox sun, the day given to the green man. The Green Man, very popular. You will find him. I found him on on Mansions in Newport. I found the Green Man. Um, The day given to the Green Man, who revi— and this is quoting from Freddie's book, who revitalizes and raises the land from the dead each spring. The moment, that moment, marks the balance of light and dark, masculine and feminine. The aim of every initiate of the mysteries. Wow. The symbolism was later portrayed in the checkerboard pattern, which is also in Rennes le Chateau on the floor in yep. the Church of Mary Magdalene, used by the Knights Templar. Wow. Incidentally, well, glory, the equinoxes-
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're done.
1: We've got to come back. Oh, and no. Finish this. Yes. We. we yeah. I, I'll call you, and we'll get you back again real, real soon. But thank you so much for being here tonight.